All right, listeners, true or false quiz question time. So true or false. Having Tommy John surgery between the age of 15 and 19 is statistically likely to increase your pitching velocity and increase the strength in your arm. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Welcome back, listeners, to Therapist in Motion podcast. I am Paul, joined here with Dan and K2. Hello, hello. Hello. All right, so let's hop right into it. So, true or false, what do you guys got? True or false, what's the right answer? What are you saying? I'm gonna I, you, you guys can't see, but there's pain in K2's face because he <laughs> knows the actual answer to this question. But I feel like I'm in like a trial right now asking yes or no to a question that can't be answered with yes or no. And I'm just leading you down a path that you don't want to stray into. So I'm going to say, yes, it is true. Uh, and there's two reasons why it's true, but I'm not going to answer those two reasons. We're going to see if I am correct with my two reasons, but I'm like K2 answer first. So it's not the direct <laughs> <laughs> cause for that increase in velocity. And there are so many other factors to it. So first question is, if that is direct correlation, maybe not, but we observe those phenomena. It's the perfect answer, because uh, that's the truth that is out there. Yes, we have observed this. When we look at the science, it shows that, yes, post Tommy John, the athletes they looked at, in this particular age group, were stronger and through harder. Now, the question becomes, though, is that the direct or the indirect response to any number of things? As everyone knows, if you're looking at good literature, you have to eliminate as many variables as possible and isolate a singular variable, if, if able. Well, a lot of variables. <laughs> whole lot of variables come into play in this one. Uh, and I think that we're all in pretty solid agreement here that no, Tommy John does not give you a, quote, bionic arm, unquote. But that's a myth that's out there, right? I've heard this from people. I imagine you two have also heard out this thing. Oh, yes. well, I'm starting to have some elbow pain. Let's just go have Tommy John. I'll be stronger and set for life, right? Yep. Uh, that's exactly what I've heard and, and experienced is, is just that, Paul. And I think that that's one of the things where we as professionals have to stand up against the stigma, especially here in this state that we're dealing with. And, you know, across the country, as our, as our listeners listen, they're probably about to enter into the start of baseball season and just taking that professional responsibility to say, you know what, it's my job to stand up for kids and their arm health. And that's more important in the long run than winning one game or one tournament. Completely. So let's take a minute and dispel some of the said myths out there. So just some things that are a little disturbing first, looking at the um, American College of uh, Sports Medicine, uh, the journal, they are talking about statistics of Tommy John's performed. And they were, I think it was 2015, if I remember the date of the article correctly, saying that 57% of the Tommy John surgeries performed were between the ages of 15 and 19, which is just crazy. I mean, we're starting to approach two thirds of individuals, well over half. Um, the Tommy Johns are between then adolescent age. Interesting when so many things are happening developmentally there, the stresses we're putting through the resulting that that's pretty terrifying. Yeah. I mean, that's just mind boggling to me. And I think if I go and, and look at the age that my children are currently in, and I look at the guidelines from MLB pitch smart, which was Dr. James Andrews and number and, and Brian Cashman of the, 
the New York Yankees and a, there's a number of other individuals on their board of directors. It's interesting when you look at 12 and under, the first line that it says is to develop athleticism, physical fitness, and fun, right? And if we think about those three things in that age, and, and that's what we were to really focus our attention on, I wonder if we wouldn't see a reduction in in, in the, the stats that you just shared of 57% of kids are having Tommy John surgery between the ages of 15 and 19. I mean, that's just mind boggling. And, and that tells me that potentially our focus at the youth is on the wrong component. Not to say that you aren't kids that you could progress, but perhaps the majority of our focus is not in the right area. K2, what are your thoughts on that? That's great. Definitely, we see the alarming signs of those uh, injuries, occurrence. And what we learn, and is that it is what it is, or we get to do something. I think we are educated enough to identify what may be uh, contributing to it, then we can stand up, just like Dan said, we have to stand up for our clients. Completely, and Dan, you brought up James Andrews, obviously a great resource when it comes to this, you know, somewhat knowledgeable and somewhat maybe the, maybe the foremost expert in a singular sports-related topic <laughs> in the entire world. Looking at his actual surgical center, uh, so the American Sports Medicine, Ortho, I'm sorry, the Andrews Sports Medicine, Medicine and Orthopedic Center, in 2010, 40% of the Tommy Johns they performed were adolescent. Uh, and keep in mind, this is with an individual who is very vocal and open about being appropriate with children, adolescents pitching, and not wanting to perform this operation on them. He talks about the myth that is out there that you'll get that, quote, bionic arm and become stronger afterwards. And Andrews himself says, after a Tommy John operation, you actually have a threefold decrease in your likelihood of making major league sports, major league baseball, and particularly pitching in the major leagues after this operation, assuming you had it before you actually got to the majors. Uh, and then also looking at some of the strength things behind it, MOB themselves have been tracking Tommy John since 1999 for the stats I saw. And of the pitchers that had Tommy John, which was roughly a quarter of all pitchers in baseball, 37% of them had to have a revision within three years. So if we're talking about a group of individuals who are in the majors, so they probably have a significant resource pool behind them and their entire day is devoted mostly to their career and their arm health. And at 37%, nearly 40% or two out of every five of them is needing a revision with the amount of time they can dedicate to it. What does that say for the kids who have to, I don't know, go to high school and college and maybe run a job at Dairy Queen and do other things of that nature that can't devote that much time, that much expertise, that many knowledgeable people behind the prevention of future issues. We're not setting them up for much success on this. No, that's crazy. I mean, especially when you start putting it in perspective of you know, the professional athlete versus the, you know, the youth athlete or the high school athlete or the collegiate athlete, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing to think about the difference between those two scenarios. And, and again, going back to what's our role and how do we influence that and thinking about who else needs to be on our care team to ensure that 
these athletes who are not professional, even though some of us may work with professional level pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery, and then we know for certain that they have a great team around them that we can communicate with. But for everybody else who isn't working with a professional athlete, but maybe working with somebody who is quote unquote very talented or has worked very hard to get up to the level where they are pitching a lot and having great success, we need to ensure that we are working with their entire team, coaches, skilled coaches, and parents to ensure that they all understand the quote unquote limits and how to manifest and appropriately manage those limits. Well, let's start there. A question for the two of you. So let's talk about the surgery itself. And let's say that an athlete and their parent or parents are going to come in and they talk to you about that research because there is research saying that after Tommy John, they were stronger and threw harder. And as KT's already said, that's an indirect result. Mm-hmm. What are you guys saying to educate that parent and those, those athletes about what the reality is and why those results are there and how it can be a little misleading if not fully read and understood? Many times, not necessarily those parents, but we gather or accept the information of what we want to hear. So this is the case, I believe. So that some of the pa- parents, they think like, you know, wow, if I my, you know, my kids get the Tommy John surgery, they can throw harder, right? No. You know, so that even I believe there are some survey asking those uh, parents, if you want to elect, you know, uh, having surgery, Tommy John surgery for your kids when they don't have the injury. Some of the parents said yes. So that was surprising. And all the medical professionals, including doctor, physical therapists, athletic trainers, strength coaches, we know the fact those surgery is not 100% success rate. Even success rate, how long it's going to last? And just like Paul said, revision rate is pretty high. So our primary focus should be on injury prevention so that those kids, younger kids, they don't end up having the surgery. Yeah, and I think... You know, let's. I love what K2 said about the injury prevention side, but for the kid that's in front of us that pretend, that just had surgery, I think one of the most important things that I would talk about from an educational standpoint is the number of pitches thrown and how hard are they throwing those pitches. You know, when again you look at uh, MLB Pitch Smart that goes by the number of pitches compared to USSA, they go by the number of innings thrown. We know that that can be very, very different. A kid could step up and, and have an eight pitch inning or have a 40 pitch inning, depending on how the game is going, right? And that is a lot of different levels of stress on their arm. But also, just as important as we, we talked about last week in our sports medicine classes, what's the total number of pitches they're throwing? How many pitches are they throwing to get loose? right? From what position are they doing it on level ground? Are they doing it off a mound? How many pitches are they throwing in warm up before the batter steps into the batter's box for a quote unquote official pitch delivery that's counted, right? And then what are they doing for a cool down? Um, Because some of those kids may end up throwing a bullpen day as part of their, as part of their cool down, and they're still throwing the ball hard, And I think that's just something, again, we have to be very mindful of is helping to educate the kid and the parents on the total number of throws that isn't just plain catch. Yeah, it's amazing how often I tend to feel people miss the whole specificity thing of returning to sport. You know, K2, I know you and Brett have talked a lot about you see significant throwing programs from important uh, 
organizations that have time durations and not number of throws, which is crazy because as Dan said, you look at an inning, an inning, maybe you cruise through and you dominate and you throw 10 pitches. Awesome. That's amazing. Maybe you get hit around a little bit, or maybe if you don't get hit around a bit, but they're getting some foul tips or delay, they're having their fighting hard at bats, all those different things coming into play. You're throwing 25, 28 pitches. That's a big difference. And we talk about turn to sport programs. We've mentioned this before. Be specific. Count what you're actually doing and think of the effort and intensity behind it. So often kids are probably getting information from sports performance coaches, mental coaches, all these different components that are talking about getting a getting a routine and having a regular routine to help combat some of the mental stresses that come behind in sports over the regular routine is like Dan said, throwing 25, 30 pitches off a mound at near full intensity and then also having a cool down that has an additional bullpen session at a higher intensity. These might be things they're being coached up on. The kid has no idea of the difference and they might even just see their true pitch count in the game of, yeah. You know, I cruised through, I threw four innings, I had 65 pitches, pretty darn solid. They took, didn't take into account the pitches before, the pitches after, the things that are happening around it that add up to sometimes a lot more than we initially see in the, quote, box score that doesn't always exist for the uh, little leaguers out there. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's that's something that was brought to my attention, you know, by a, a former Major League Baseball pitching coach who's done some consulting at the college level. And he walked around one practice with a clicker on a kid that was having some arm issues and clicked every time he threw the ball at what he considered relatively high effort velocity, right? And at the end of the practice, he asked the kid how many times he thought he threw it. And the kid said 150 and it was over 200. Right. And I think that that's just one of those things that was mind blowing for the pitching coach <laughs> was clearly mind blowing for the kid. And it was one of those things that's, well, no wonder this, this kid's arm is sore and this is at the collegiate level. So clearly doing something right, you know, from a mechanic standpoint to make it to that level. But I, I think about, you know, again, the level that my children are at and how to make a positive influence on helping to educate parents and coaches. Cause at this, you know, that they set them up for success moving forward and that it's the right mentality and the right approach from a young age moving forward so that it's just part of their routine. No different than it is that, you know, we're going to stretch and we're going to warm up and we're going to warm up our entire body and we're going to get loose and we're going to get, you know, do some speed and agility work. No different than that for any other sport should be the same for baseball. So that by the time the kids get to that high level club, high school, collegiate ball, they already have the expectation built into their head because it was done at an early age. Completely. And so, K2, you talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about prevention before. What are some of your key points for prevention? Or you do have that 12, 13-year-old in front of you who is starting to go around with club team and getting prepared for their high school team as they're getting close to it and all those components. What do you do to help them be as effective as possible at mitigating injury risk, specifically for the elbow? Yes, specifically um, these days, Thanks to the development of strength and conditioning, younger kids tend to generate more velocity, power. So that those are great, can be double-edged sword. So issues we had before, we have to be more alarmed about it because more um, powers they generate, more torque going to the UCL. So if we keep doing the same thing as in the past, for sure, we're going to have more issues, I think. So to answer your question, Paul, uh, definitely I'd like to know how much 
throwing slash stress going to the body. So that few questions I want to ask you is how many games those younger kids actually played and pitched and all the information we want to get. Just like uh, Dan was talking, sometimes parents, kids, they have no idea how much they have done. But once we reflect back on, then we can realize how much we have done. Then we have to control the controllable. So the number of pitches, definitely. Also, like uh, how many days they're going to throw, how many uh, months of the year they play. Those kind of stuff is a huge component. So I want to get those specific numbers first. I love that. And especially to talk about the number of months being played, it's a fascinating thought here. You know, KT, you brought up a great uh, thought earlier of oftentimes you hear what you want to hear or things that reinforce. Well, also, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And living in Arizona, you can play baseball 12 months out of the year without a challenge. But then interestingly enough, we happen to know where do most professional baseball pitchers come from? The north. Why do they come from the north? Because they take rest time <laughs> because you can't pitch in the middle of a blizzard in michigan well you could it probably wouldn't go very well for you right like these things are interesting but you see the kids around you you see all these kids the high level ones that are you know an age group or two above your children or they're the level you want to reach and you're seeing them play on a club team play on a high school team play on another team you're seeing them constantly throwing and pitching like man they're really honing their craft putting so much time and effort into this that's what i have to do it's what my son has to do it's what my daughter has to do or whoever it is and you kind of forget that that's not showing an adequate picture of what's out there. And you do need that rest point. You do need to ask a very important question, especially in warmer climates. How many months are you pitching? How many teams are you on? You know, Dan, you talked about the pitch count earlier. There are kids on multiple teams that you've even mentioned use that to get around some of the pitch count components. Yeah, they met their pitch count in this league, but yet in other league, they didn't meet their pitch count. So now suddenly we're doubling the amount of stress they can have. That's not putting in, again, anyone set up for success or mitigating injury issue at all. Yeah, I think that's just where it gets really frustrating and, and where our professional responsibility lies is to advocate for those who sometimes don't have somebody to advocate them or they don't want to hear it. It's hard to hear because they think that winning's more important, which at a certain level, don't get me wrong, winning's important, right? Like we, we're all high level athletes. We get the importance of winning. We have that competitive drive. I get it. But at the cost of a kid's arm, when the, and these stats are even more alarming that you shared today than what I had really conceptualized in my head. And I know a lot of the stats, right? Uh, but I think going back to what K2 is talking about on the prevention side, I think this is another opportunity where throwing is a high input on their neurological system and how we as therapists communicate with strength conditioning coaches or their speed coach or their skills coach or their position coach or whatever. We have to make sure that we understand how much rest time is needed for their body after a high CNS day or of, of throwing, right? They can't come back the next day and at strength and conditioning do a high CNS day. And then because of their number of pitches or innings, they can pitch again after one or two days rest, but they've had two days of high input to their nervous system. Now we're setting them up for an even higher injury rate, which there's no way we could ever study that because who's going to take that risk, right? No, nobody at an at academic institution is going to take that risk of, especially with youth, of, of studying that. But I think that's, again, where our professional responsibility comes in on some of the prevention side is also helping them look at not only that one individual day and how much is 
rest is required after the number of pitches or innings thrown, depending on the guidelines or, or the league that your child is playing in. But also, what's the rest of their week look like from a training standpoint? Because I think that's a huge component from a science of exercise and a science of recovery standpoint that we need to help educate. And I'm curious what advice you guys have out there for the therapists who are trying to promote but are just hitting a wall and they're not getting through. And I don't mean how do you get through that wall? Because as you said, Dan, we're all high level athletes. And I'm not going to lie. If you came and talked to high school Paul and told him to stop playing basketball because of there being a significant injury risk, I don't think you get through to him. Quite frankly, I don't think I was in a place where I really cared much about what was above and beyond my next two hours of life. Like that's just how I functioned, unfortunately. And that is a reality, too, of a lot of the competitive nature out there that they're about winning. Dan, you yourself have run into some stone walls recently, but you have done your professional responsibility. So I think it's important, one, to just point out that please don't become apathetic to the problem simply because you're not getting immediate results or not getting the result you hope. So you say, well, it's not worth it. It is always worth it for us to continue to push for the health of individuals, especially individuals who are going to, as I stated earlier, probably not make the best decision always for themselves, a.k.a. myself. Um, (laughs) However, what advice do you guys have for the therapists out there that are trying and just not getting anywhere to understand that keep trying, it's well worth your time and effort? So... I mean, this is what I've done so far is one, I've, I've brought awareness, right? Uh, which I think is the first thing. And it, like K2 said, they may not want to hear it, <laughs> but when they start to see stats, um, regardless of age um, and, and hear things, I think that's an opportunity when they kind of go, oh, that's kind of interesting, right? Uh, the second thing is, is offer assistance and just say, look, like, do you have anybody in your league or your organization who does this for you, right? And I'm not going to step outside my professional responsibility, right? Or or my scope. That's not something that I'm going to do that I feel comfortable with, but I can, I can offer assistance in an area that I feel comfortable managing and supporting. And at that point, now you've done what you can do and the ball's in their court, right? If they say no the first time, that doesn't mean that you just say, okay, they don't value my input or whatever. That's go back and say, all right, well, you know, is this, anything else, you're always going to have the opportunity, hopefully on the team that your children are playing on or the league that your children are playing in to at least help the immediate kids on that team and, and, and talk to those parents. But I think that's where it starts, right? Like we have a great example of a therapist who started working with a local high school here, here in the Valley and over time has just built more and more and more trust because they do the right things. They communicate and they have player health and safety at the forefront of their mind, but also understand that winning is important because it's the high school level. So they they are in constant communication to find the balance that is going to ensure that the kid is back as safely and as quickly as possible back to sport. And I think that's the other thing you can offer is, look, my, my job is not to hold anybody out. My job is to make sure that everybody can play and develop athleticism and physical fitness and have fun. But I still need to have the player's health at the forefront of my mind. I like that. So from myself, few wisdoms. In the past, when I tried to get to the parents or coach, I didn't get it. I hated the moment I have to confront or create a conflict. But if that client slash kids end up having injuries, ask myself, did I do the right thing for it? Well, if I didn't speak up 
maybe I didn't. So I highly encourage you to speak up if you truly care. If you truly care, we have to stand up. And sometimes, just like Dan and Paul saying, we don't get the immediate results, but we're gonna approach them. Then also higher like you know, in, uh, intelligence, you know, emotional intelligence maybe kicks in, but we're gonna figure out how we can get to them. So that through the communication, we can learn about the coaches, learn about the parents, learn about the kids. We can figure out. Then also facts and the truth don't lie. So that we're gonna provide that scientific data. At the same time, Dan, I really loved when you said that provide assistance, provide the solutions, so that we are not just saying no to the coaches, no to the parents. We're gonna find a way to help your kids to be more successful in the future. So we're gonna work together. I think once we can create to that opportunity to get to the point, I think we can save one kids at a time. I love that. Both of you guys did a really nice job speaking to a couple of important points. One, it doesn't happen overnight. Yes, you might have one you connect with, and that's awesome. That's amazing. But so often it is building that trust, building that relationship over a prolonged period of time. And also, like K2, you said, offering solutions. I think way too often coaches at all kinds of levels just think about PT, OT, rehab, anything along those lines and think, oh, they're just going to hold them out. They're going to say, don't do it. Just rest. Rest longer. Don't participate. How do we keep them involved actively? How are we keeping them back to sport as quickly as possible or as hopefully as much as frequently able, eliminating the need to have to return and simply being there. How are we helping them prevent injuries, look at things, look at the full body, look at different pieces of the equation? It's going to be a good way to help bridge that gap between, oh, it's just another person who's going to say, oh, take three weeks off so you don't have an issue because you're starting to feel the slightest little tingle in your arm. That's not what we want to be. Educate with appropriate uh, intervention and appropriate prevention to the highest level possible. And Dan, you talk nice about stats. Just to wrap up, do you have a couple resources people can go to online to look at to get some of this information for themselves to show others or educate themselves with if they have not seen it yet? Yeah, so the the best place and the place that I've consistently been going is MLB Pitch Smart, uh, mainly because my kids are in Little League and Little League of America uses MLB Pitch Smart guidelines they have an incredible set of resources based on the age of the child. It goes from, I believe, seven to eight-year-olds all the way up to um, 22-year-olds. So they have guidelines from you know eight and under all the way up to 22, which I think is fantastic. And you will watch and see the evolution and change as skeletal maturity occurs. And you will see velocity increases because skeletal maturity mm-hmm. in it, you know, occurs and they get stronger and more athletic and able to handle those things. But that's the that's the number one resource that I've been utilizing is MLB Pitch Smart. Well, that's also a nice job of tying back into the initial true or false question, the indirect. Yeah, you do have an increase in velocity and strength often because skeletal maturity is occurring and Tommy John rehab is pretty long. So you probably have a good team behind you for longer than you've trained on things for a prolonged capacity. So Dan, very nice job wrapping up. As always, if anyone has any questions, please reach out to us uh, via email therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 